Today we have Parker York-Smith on the Button Up Podcast. Excited to dive into your story. How you doing, Parker? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. So just like uh, myself, you're a Midwest guy, and uh, you have evolved into a very prominent menswear influencer on Instagram and things, and uh, I love to really capture that story. So uh, I guess what would be your, your earliest memory of starting to get curious about style? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, the origin story that I kind of always stick to is I grew up in uh, going to private school where we had to wear, you know, a polo shirt and some sort of some sort of like chino style pant or short in the summertime. Um, but we were allowed to wear sneakers. So that was always sort of the only way that we were able to individualize ourselves you know it was kind of like a little mini looking back it, it was kind of like a little status symbol sort of like uh whatever shoes you had for school you know typically people would always get a new pair at the beginning of the year and then you'd get like your basketball shoes or whatever so those would kind of become like your second half of the year shoe but um i my birthday is august 30th which is kind of right in line with when school would always start so i just kind of had this unspoken, well, not unspoken. I had this agreement with my mom that my birthday present every year would just be pretty much whatever sneaker that I wanted for school. Um, so that's kind of the original. I've always been a big shoe nerd, uh, sneakers, boots, dress shoes, you name it. Uh, and then slowly but surely from there, I ventured into a weird sort of Eminem inspired oversized phase in high school uh and then in college it was very sort of bright colors polos i wasn't in a fraternity but sort of inspired by that sort of college boy kind of thing and then from there i moved to la and it became a little bit more just kind of what i call like west coast casual just very relaxed but still sort of fashion forward well, I think no one can blame us for the early 2000s and the way that clothes fit then, right? Oh, man, it was so bad. I'm like, I I wish now that I'm more confident that I had photos, but there are so many times that I just was so glad that there are not photos of a lot of the things that I wore. I mean, like, I probably wear, like, a, a, now I usually tend to buy, like, a 31 or a 32 waist, and I was not definitely not any bigger than I am now then, and I was buying, like, 36 just like thinking that's what size I needed. It's just so stupid. Oh, I know. What were, so in your early days, you're saying they're sneakers. Like what are like one or two of the sneakers that were like the ones that really stood out for you? Um, I mean, definitely I was always a basketball player. So Jordans were, I mean, I was a big Jordan person. Um, the very first pair of adult sized expensive fancy sneakers that I got were the Air Max 97s the first time that they came out in 97 so that was like that I think from what I can remember that was one of the very first shoes to cost like 140 or 150 bucks so it was very crazy because for one all of my guys in my grade and I our feet had just grown into the adult sizes so the shoes were going to be more expensive anyway but then that was also a step up from 
the other hundred dollar shoes or whatever to pay 150. So most of the other kids in my grades, their parents weren't willing to, to spend that because they knew they were just going to grow out of them in a year anyway. But because of, like I said, with my birthday, my mom went ahead and, and got them for me. So I was the only kid in school that had the, the new Air Maxes. So I was like, that was kind of like, oh, wow, like I can use fashion to like really make myself feel confident and interesting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had a blue pair of Air Force Ones that those I always think of those as like, wow, that was my peak sneaker, my sneaker days there. <laughs> yeah, I definitely been through several pairs of Air Force Ones over the years, mainly in high school, as we talked about with that weird phase. Oh, yeah. So you go to college. What do you study in college that leads you out to L.A.? Well, I went to school for broadcasting journalism and uh, planned on doing the, you know, either newscaster or sportscaster route. Um, and it was going well, but I did an internship at a local news station and found out a lot of the sort of inner workings of that business. And it's, to be frank, it's kind of an ugly business behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. But it's just like this concept that it's, it's about shock and awe. It's not necessarily about providing real value. Um, so I just bailed on it to be completely honest that it, and it, you know, it, it's one of those industries where you have to work several years making basically minimum wage, sort of proving yourself, so to speak, before you're really considered legitimate. So I, uh, decided that I wanted, well, at the time my stepsister was living in Los Angeles. So I came and visited her when I was in, a junior in college and just sort of fell in love with the city over a long weekend and decided from then that it was just I was going to go I was going to come here I didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know what was going to happen but I just knew that I wanted to do it so I did after after college what kind of courses do you take in school then around journalism is there a lot of like process or uh, like that? I'm really curious about that yeah it was I mean I we actually I went to the University of Dayton and we had a really great uh TV station and uh, program for broadcasting there. So we would get a lot of on-camera experience. I got a lot of producing experience in terms of like behind the scenes stuff, um, actually creating different news packages and things like that, that you would see. Um, at the time it was sort of, we ha it was digital, but it was, I'm aging myself a little bit, but it, we were still technically filming everything on tape and then we would convert the tape to digital. So we had to basically learn how to edit reel to reel, but also then in Avid with like the digital programming that they're using probably still today. That's great. Nothing like having some of the, like the hard learnings in there. Oh yeah, for sure. It was great. I really loved it. And I mean, honestly coming full circle now, just sort of finally in the last, you know, six months to a year trying to get more and more serious and figure out this YouTube world that you guys are so great at that, like, it's been invaluable for me to be able to step in and kind of already understand how to edit video and not have to take the time to learn that curve. Uh, now it, that, that has been invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. So you land in LA and then you just figured out from there what was your first few steps to to get off the ground in LA. Yeah, I mean, I I drove 
out here with uh, a friend of mine. Well, I mean, I drove, we drove separately, but we came out here together with the intention of being here. She was basically just like, we had talked about it once or twice that we were interested in moving. And we both graduated from school the same year. And she called me about three weeks into the summer and was like, hey, I think she called me on like a Thursday or a Friday and she said, hey, I'm going to, I know we talked about LA, I'm going to move on Wednesday. So if you're interested, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I just was like, cool. I didn't have a job. I mean, I was waiting tables as a summer job after college because I knew I wasn't really trying to pursue the news thing uh, yet. So we, I got packed my car and drove from the moment I left my mom's house. I drove for 30 straight hours and basically passed out <laughs> in a, at a rest stop about, you know, five or six hours outside of LA, drove the rest of the next day. We got into town. We didn't even have a place to live yet. We looked around at places to live. We actually ended up moving into the very first place that we looked at. Uh, I ended up getting a, another just serving job for a while and kind of fell into doing uh, acting, produce, or you know, like uh, trying to pursue that whole scene. So I did that uh, moderately successfully for like four years or so. Yeah, some of those professional headshots. So many professional headshots. I have like a stack of them that I never used that like I will never use. And they were so expensive because you got to like pay for the fancy photographer. Because this again was like pre-Instagram, pre-people really, you know, it was only photographers who knew how to take decent photos nowadays. I, I'll take friends' headshots for them if they need little, like, quick shots or something because it's just so much easier for people to know how to use a camera these days. But, yeah, professional headshots, all that. I mean, I the most thing – I was on one episode of American Horror Story a few years ago, and that was about the, the pinnacle of my acting experience. That's pretty cool, man. It's a big show. <laughs> it was. It was really. It was really fun. Um, it was a really interesting experience. Um, I grew up around. My dad was an actor, and so I grew up around it. So that was kind of just the natural thing that I sort of fell into um, as a backup, and that ended up kind of. It was fun, and I enjoyed it but it, it ultimately revealed itself that I was sort of in it for the wrong reasons. I didn't really, really, really want to do it. It wasn't what I was truly passionate about. So I met my now, my now wife, uh, five, almost six years ago. And she sort of saw me struggling with acting. She saw that I wasn't really happy. I didn't really have a whole lot of direction with my career. And she was, smart enough to understand that like, Hey, you know, you, uh, have this huge passion for clothes, for style. Why don't you start just taking photos of yourself and you like to write, you learned how to write in college, just start shooting yourself in these clothes, write about it, talk about why you put that with that and put it up on the internet and see what happens. It was like very, early on in Instagram sort of, I mean, it wasn't early on in the platform in general, but it, there really weren't like 
there were only a few people that I was aware of, at least, that were doing what we do then. This was four four years ago or something, four, almost four years ago. Yeah, it's crazy how fast things change with, you know, any, well, I guess just the internet in general, any social platform, like, we hear from a lot of people, you know, I guess like yourself, who have like a pretty big following on Instagram who say it'd be different if you started now. I mean, do you feel like, did you have a plan when you started or would you do anything differently now? To be honest, I did, I did not have a plan. I, I'm very, uh, I don't know the right word, but I'm, I'm very creative. I'm not, I, I'm not as strong as I'm not as strong as I would like to be in terms of, you know, planning and analytics and, and the back end of things. Thankfully, my wife is, is much more, uh, savvy with that kind of stuff. And we sort of work as a team with all of, of the business. So I'm very fortunate in that sense, but I agree. It, it would be very difficult now just because of the fact that not only do you have a lot more people doing it, but you also are at odds with Instagram. I, I mean, I, I still, you know, I, I'm able to use it as my full-time job now, which I'm so lucky and fortunate to be able to do, but it's, it still frustrates me on a regular basis because I don't know why things aren't going this way or why, why it was this way last week. And now it's this way this week. And so it, it would be very tough to just jump in from scratch now, but at the same time, if you feel like you are able to provide value, that's all that really matters. Or if you're able to make yourself happy doing it, that's kind of something that I've really been trying to focus heavy on lately is just like trying my best not to put all of my personal value in how many likes or views I get on something. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And I, I would say an uphill battle, especially for uh, Instagram and YouTube and stuff that is very personal where you're very much the face of it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it gets really tough sometimes because you just are, I mean, if, if you can, if you want to get technical about it, you are literally able to quantify your value numerically, you know, I mean, it's in terms of how a brand sees you or the people, clients and things like when you start to get into the business side of things, you you can't just be happy with yourself. You have to kind of be willing to satisfy the, the needs of the client or you have to take your numbers into consideration because if they're not interested in, you know, if you're not able to book as many jobs, jobs as you would like, it may be because of numbers or something like that. So finding the, value in the small things is something that I'm always recommending to people. Anytime they ask me questions, you know, the first time a brand reaches out to you, celebrate the first time you get paid, celebrate like little things like that. Because if you're out there comparing yourself to the biggest names in the industry, which is very easy to do because they're constantly in your face, it, you're never going to be happy. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. Well, you started without, you know, too much of a, I guess, goal or a plan, but obviously it, it merged into something or turned into something that you're doing full time. Was there a point or do you remember like a certain, I don't know, month or something where you're like, okay, I could actually do this? It, yeah, there, I don't remember exactly. It, I've only been full time for 
I guess it's time flies. It's probably been a little over like a year and a half now, but, um, I mean, it was for me, it was when I finally started to realize like, okay, I have to start getting more serious about this as a business. Like it still blows my mind on a seemingly daily basis that this is what I get to do as a job. And I have to remind myself that it's not just like fun and creative and that I do have to be serious about it as a business. So I am constantly reminding myself like, you know, think about it as a business, the way, the things that you read, like I've been trying to do better about like reading business textbook, not textbooks necessarily, but you know, different business books and things where I can learn more about it because the, the sooner that people can start to view it as something that is more than just a way to get free clothes, then the sooner the entire industry is going to be respected on a deeper level. And we are going to be able to all work together to make it better, not not necessarily be in constant uh, competition with one another. But I, I feel like I veered off from your question. So yes, there was a time when I was like, wow, okay, I'm making this much money. I've finally been good about, you know, t- putting it on a spreadsheet, really trying to be as professional about it as possible. And I was kind of like, you know what, this is, I've, I've watched enough episodes of Shark Tank. I've seen enough things in books where people are kind of like, this is the chance for you to, to take the leap. And I just was like, I'm just going to do it. I, I moved out here. I've done, I've, my life has been a series of leaps. So I feel like I, I didn't want to stop now. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you, do you think that it's, it's interesting that some, this is like, you're kind of saying there's no standards for like pricing and, you know, some people undervalue themselves. I think actually most like influencers kind of undervalue themselves in terms of like what they charge brands. I mean, how did you figure that out? Like when, when a brand expresses interest and they say, what's your rate for a post? How do you figure that out? I don't have a set, uh, schematic for that, to be honest. For me early on, it was kind of like, okay, let's be really honest with myself here. How much time is it going to take me in total to create this photo, to create this blog post, this video, whatever it is. And what's the sort of, I don't, I don't want to say bare minimum, but what's the, what's the realistic price for that for me? And early on it was, less than it is now just because I feel like the quality has gone up. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's tough. I don't know, because it, it is one of those kind of unspoken things that people don't seem to really love talking about. I'm not super comfortable talking about my specific rates with other, uh, with other bloggers and influencers. Um, but you just have to be honest with yourself about what you think your time is really worth. You know, I also, as much as I don't think people should overcharge because it just gives the whole industry a bad rap. And honestly, like, yes, our job is very time consuming. Our job is very, uh, time consuming, I think is the best way to phrase it. But it also is something that you're able to do pretty much any time. It's not like you have, you know, you can, you can make it work regardless. So I think that the more people are able to understand that by not 
overvaluing themselves, they are going to kind of provide more value in the long run because uh, I don't know, I'm rambling and I'm trying to like figure out the right way to, to answer the question because it is important to value yourself. That was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn that my wife was on me for a very long time saying, stop taking free stuff. People is the more you take free stuff, the more people are just going to think that your value is free. Whereas when mm -hmm. I started to be a little bit more stern about like, Hey, you know what? Like as much as I absolutely love that suit or as much as I absolutely love that bag. And I deep down the style hoarder in me is dying to accept it. I know that in the long run by me denying it. And if more people in our industry would deny it, the quicker we're all going to be able to understand that this can be a career, a full-time job and not just for the top 5% or whatever it is. I mean, so that was a big thing for me is just really trying to understand the, my value as soon as I felt that it was there and, and making sure that the businesses that I'm working with understood that value as well. The longest yeah. answer for the easiest no, it's, question. <laughs> it's it's not. I think I, I think it's I think it's a tough question, man. I mean, and it is really complicated and it's totally even though this has been around for a few years, like it's still the Wild West, you know. I think that's why it's it's really tough because there are no standards and there's no you know, people talk about CPMs and stuff, but really there's zero um like benchmarks like from one influencer to the next, you know. Yeah, there's just no quantifiable evidence and also like nowadays there's a whole separate industry of people offering to, to, to handle it all for you and grow your account and, and all, and run bots and, and all these things. And I'm just like, I respect people out there trying to get theirs. So I can't completely knock it as something that I get why people offer it. I've never once paid for a follower. I've never ran a bot on my account. I don't, I don't believe in it. I think that it's much smarter to to build slowly and build a much stronger base as opposed to something that is huge and could crumble at any moment because it's ultimately on really uh, shoddy foundation. But it it's just a it's it's about everyone in our industry recognizing their own value and understanding that just because you don't have 50, 100, 200, 500,000 followers, whatever your next benchmark is, doesn't mean that you can't still provide value and still, you know, be within your little niche and be better than the traditional route of these businesses going out and hiring a model and creating an entire photo shoot and spending the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that it costs to do that. And it, like for me, I, I have, I also have done a pretty fair amount of modeling, both professional and freelance. And I've, it's been a blessing for me because I've gotten to sort of understand how crazy that world and sort of archaic, a lot of that world really is where people are overspending for things that I can, that people like us can provide honestly, probably almost a better return for a fraction of the cost. So just really, really seeing yourself as someone who's able to provide value, but figuring out what that value is 
on a personal level from you specifically, as opposed to just, you know, I have a bunch of followers, so I'm worth, you know, my followers are worth one cent a piece. Like I, I think that's sort of a, a figure that I've heard other people using. Like if, if you have 50,000 followers, you should charge $500 a post or whatever. And it's, that's just not how things work in my opinion. Well, when you had mentioned about your, like our, what you do is time intensive, but one of the things that I read that really stuck with me is they said that you as the influencer are assuming the role of creative director, art director, model, photographer, like you're assuming so many roles. And so to place the value on that, like you're saying, you know, if you're going out on a traditional shoot, the cost to a company for that is exponential compared to an influencer and trying to find that balance is really what the wild west that we're sitting in. Absolutely. I completely agree. But I, on the flip side of that, I don't feel like you need to go value yourself as six people. You need to understand, wow, the creative director and the photographer could very easily be the same person or, you know what I mean? Like, it, I think too many people go out and say, well, this brand wants me to do all this stuff. So I need to be charging $2,000 for, for two photos or whatever, as opposed to going out and understanding that you can create a great piece of content for a, a few hundred or whatever, being reasonable about it to where it doesn't give everyone else a bad rap or you're not putting a bad taste in some young brand's mouth because of the fact that they came and approached you and you just massively overquoted them for something that, you know, you're going to do a great job, go get what you're worth, but also be fair, be reasonable and understand that you don't need to go charge what the traditional route would cost because that's just going to kind of mess the whole thing up in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think those are, those are both really good points. So I wonder given all this, I mean, what would you tell somebody who's just starting from scratch in 2018 and who wants to, to build an audience on either YouTube or Instagram or both in like the men's lifestyle world? Sure. The biggest thing right now is in my opinion would be differentiation. Like the more that you can be unique in the space, um, the, the quicker you are going to see a return in my opinion. So if you're able to, you know, take some time, really study the market, figure out what's out there. You know, I'm sort of like modeling my YouTube channel off of pre-existing channels because I don't have the time to really go be inventive because I have a whole separate other business going with Instagram and YouTube is sort of just like a, a beginner thing for me right now. But like, if you're able to keep up a day job or whatever it is and you're able to go home at night and figure out what type of content is missing. Maybe it's, you know, I've been seeing more, uh, like heavily photoshopped, really interesting photography that includes a product that I love. You know, I've been seeing really interesting video that is heavily stylized or cinematic or something that just things that are missing and go make that your thing because ultimately nowadays if you want to establish something that's real and not just be sort of you know a an attractive person online because 
yes, if you're an attractive person, you'll probably have a little bit of a leg up because you'll get people that want to come look at you and and see how nice you look. But if you're really interested in making this impactful and making it something that you can really help people with, then finding that gap in the market and really just going hard at that is the best way for people to say, oh my God, I just found this guy. He's amazing because he does this or whatever. Because ultimately, you have to get shared vocally. You have to get shared by by kids out there who are interested in what you're doing and going to school or going to their job or going wherever and saying, you guys have to check out this guy. He's awesome. It's just, there's too many people to just happen to have, to have it just happen organically or, or it's just going to take a long, long time. And the odds are not in your favor, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Just think about the way that like fuck Jerry has grown. Like the number of times that my siblings have sent me his posts early in the days, <laughs> and it's like if you do something unique, people will talk about it. Absolutely, yeah, and that's a perfect example because it's just like you know. And now there are, I can't, I'm, I'm not big in that world. My, my wife loves those meme accounts, so like she, she'll always be showing me something. But exact, he has been copied a hundred times over, or a thousand times over now, so because he proved a concept that was missing and sure there's controversy surrounding someone like him but at the same time no press is bad press or no no that's not the saying uh or is it all press is good press yeah that works or Perfect. bad even bad press is uh, whatever you want to say it's all good <laughs> so yeah i think if, if you're able to be out there if people are sharing your content if they're interested in what you're putting out because it is unique it isn't just I don't know. I think it's it's going to be really tough these days to just show people how you wear a dress shirt with jeans or whatever and have them latch onto it like they would have four years ago when I started or whatever. You know, it's just it's a different world. You have to you kind of have to be a little bit more cunning, a little bit more uh, progressive, I guess. Yeah, totally. So one of the segments that we do is rapid fire questions. So we're going to throw a couple at you, just like one or two word answers. You ready? Yeah, for sure. All right. Oxfords or Brogues? Oxfords. Morning shower or evening shower? Morning shower. Your favorite Bond actor? Oh, uh, Pierce Brosnan. Cardio or lifting? Lifting. Chinos, jeans, or trousers? Lately, it's been trousers. I've noticed. Uh, you're, you prefer spring, summer, or fall, winter? Spring, summer. Okay, and then if you're getting in the shower and you like want to get pumped up for a day, what song are you playing? Uh, I guess probably like Till I Collapse. I stay true to Eminem. I don't great, listen to a whole lot of music choice. anymore. Nice, nice. I've been listening to Kamikaze for the last four days straight. So I, I am embarrassed to say I've not even started it yet. I've just like totally fallen off on music. I'm so deep on podcasts and like Kindles and, or I mean, uh, Audible books and stuff like that. That I've become a total like nerd for that kind of stuff, as opposed to 
listening to the new music, which is terrible. Well, Kamikaze is the first album that he's put out in a while that feels like the old Eminem show stuff or some of the some shady stuff, and so I've I've been enjoying that one. Oh, good. Okay, perfect. I've seen mixed reviews online, so I'm I'm excited to check it out for myself. There's no till I collapse. That's the problem, though. Yeah, I don't think there will ever be. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing with us, Parker. I've uh, I've really enjoyed following your honeymoon the past few months. Congratulations oh, on the thank wedding. thank you. I appreciate that very much. You and I are four days apart in birthday, so we were like... We were oh, no by. way. Yeah, are you the twi- 26th or the yep. second? Oh, nice. Yeah, 26th. So it's been really cool to, to watch you grow over the past, I think I found it like a year ago or so, and uh, looking forward to what else you have up your sleeve. Every, what's the main place you'd like to, to point people to to, to follow you? Uh, I mean, anywhere, Instagram or YouTube, at Parker York Smith. Um, that's the easiest place to find me. I'm trying my darndest to be better about video. It is as much as I tell myself I can just knock it out. It is super labor intensive. So I'm trying my best to, to figure it all out following in your guys' footsteps. You guys are killing it. I really love watching all of your stuff and staying tuned. I need to be better about being on. I, that's the thing with Instagram. I've become, it's become this is another tip sort of a parting tip is to make sure you don't let it become too much of a job in the sense that like I don't really get on Instagram leisurely anymore I sort of just get on there when I need to be on there and I and I find myself gravitating towards other things whereas I used to spend a lot of time on there you know exposing myself to the new things finding out what people are into stuff like that so the more you're able to really remember that it is fun that it is interesting it can be a really great creative boost the longer your uh creativity will last i love it that's a great one great place to end well thank you parker and we had juice those youtube numbers up so go check them out over there and find them on instagram too perfect thank you so much guys i really appreciate it Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we'll see you next week.